You know, we, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a story in the book of John chapter 4, but we're going to look at it from a different angle. I could, guess I could say it like that. In our, in our mission that Christ has given to us of making disciples of all nations, there's a lot of ways that we as followers of Jesus can lead people to faith in Christ. And I would say that two of the primary ways that you can do this is through, number one, sharing your personal story, sharing your testimony of, of faith in Jesus Christ and the difference that Jesus has made. And then there's another way of doing that. It's just sharing the story of Jesus. And it's perfect when those two stories come together. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on the first aspect of just learning to share our story, learning to share our testimony. Next week, we're going to look at the gospel and look at a, uh, a, another angle of how to share the gospel from an outline in scripture that is given to us. In your life groups, you've been assigned John chapter 4 to read and discuss in your groups. And, and in your life groups, you're going to find in this chapter, you're going to discover an incredible story of a woman. She wasn't a preacher. She didn't preach a sermon. But she met Jesus. And Jesus, she had an incredible life-changing encounter with Jesus. And as you'll read the story in your life groups, she rushes back to her village, all new to her. She began to share, it says there, her story, her personal testimony. And many of the people she was instrumental in leading many of the people to faith in Jesus Christ because of her story so what I want you to do in your life groups is look at her story look at how God used her and discover in your life groups from her example what can you learn about your story and sharing your story with others and so in the spirit of John chapter 4, in the spirit of, of sharing our story and our testimonies, I've asked Caitlin to come this morning and share with us her story as well. Now, I'll just tell you, Caitlin's not a preacher, all right? Caitlin isn't here to preach a sermon, but she has a story. I became aware of her story some time ago, and I thought, oh, God can powerfully use that story. And so she had the courage to, to come and share with us her, her story today. Now, our objective with this is for you to leave just saying God is amazing the way he changes lives, the way he impacts somebody through Caitlin and her family. But I want you to leave also inspired to think, okay, what's my story? And to be inspired to think, how can I share my story with others as well to help in this process of making disciples. Caitlin and I, uh, uh, Karen and I have been so blessed to be in, in this year, starting in September, in the same life group as Caitlin and her family. And we've been so blessed to get to know Caitlin and Tyler and their three sons, Hayden and Benji and Thomas. And I am, I am certain that you're going to be blessed by getting to know them and to know Caitlin as she shares her story with us this morning. So Eastside, let's give her a big welcome and a big encouragement as she shares with us today. <clears throat> Okay, I'm going to try to get through this without crying. Um, my name is Caitlin Epperson, and I'm here today to share my testimony with you. Many months ago, Karen and Eddie came to me and asked me to think about giving my testimony before the church. I told them both I would think about it and that I would pray about it. 
but I wasn't confident that I should come up here and tell my story. Telling someone you're going to pray about it and think about it is the polite Christian way of telling your preacher no. <clears throat> um, so I wasn't ready uh, for the world and my church to know the mess that I really was. My mask is a lot prettier than the truth. I've been at spiritual war over whether I should stand before you and share what God has done in my life ever since. I have run away from the calling just as Jonah did when he was called to go to Nineveh. And I have filled my life with busyness like sports, school, work, etc. To always have an excuse not to confront the lies that Satan has told me for so long. So, here I am today, standing before my church family with God and my family by my side to share with you what God has done for me. Recently, I've become more open about my struggles with how to share my faith at home with my children and my life group. I am so grateful for the openness and security that my life group has offered so that I can become more vulnerable spiritually and emotionally. As I wrestled with this decision, God spoke Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 21, saying to me, In the future, when your son asks, What is the meaning of the decrees and statutes and ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. God was telling me that I could not wrestle with this any longer, and that I needed to know what to say to my three sons when they came asking me about the grace of God. I must share my story so that my sons will understand the true meaning of grace that I, of all people, most certainly did not deserve. To get the whole picture, I must start from the beginning. I was born on January 28, 1993, to two unbelievers, Chris Preston and Christy Street. My mother's parents desperately did not want her to marry my biological father, as they saw signs that my mother did not. Within a few short years, my sister and I came along, 17 months apart, and shortly after that, one nasty divorce. My biological father was a struggling alcoholic, and my mother was struggling with some mental health issues. Their marriage was not a union built on Christ. So it was not long before my mother was a single mom trying to provide for her, her two girls. All of this happened before I turned two years old. I do not remember much of this part of my life as I was so young, but much of what I know has been passed down to me through others. The decisions of my biological parents have had lasting impacts on my life, even to this day. Not long after the divorce, my mom met a man 18 years older than her at the bowling alley. His name was Robin Street, and on May 29, 1996, my mom and Robin were married and are quickly approaching 27 years of marriage. <clears throat> However, I'm going to be completely honest. This wasn't exactly a marriage built on the foundation of Christ either, so it had its challenges. There were many fights over a variety of hot topics, such as money and discipline. I now had new siblings, a different house, and a dusting of confusion because I now had two dads. When I was asked by my biological father why I called Robin my daddy, I told him at the ripe old age of three or four that it was because my daddy read me bedtime stories. 
Fathers, hear me when I say it is not just your sons who need you in their lives, but your daughters too. We need you to teach us what a godly man looks like. Before I started kindergarten at five years old, my mother attempted to take her own life. She was in so much emotional pain that even her children and her husband were not enough to keep her going. After spending some time recovering and healing, we moved away from Nashville, Tennessee to a small rural town called Homewald, where my parents still reside to this day. Even in a new home, new town, new schools, and new friends, there was still something missing in our home. I began to push back on visiting my biological father, who was still drinking quite a lot and continued to fight with my mother about things I could not understand at the time. It was at this age that I began to feel very protective of my mother, which is something that I've carried with me to this day. By the time that I was 8 to 10 years old, I had told my biological father that I did not want to come back to his home, and he let me walk away. Not once did he fight for me or apologize for his mistakes, as dealing with the relationship between my mother and himself was too difficult and letting his kids go was easier. Again, even his kids were not enough to keep fighting for. He spent many, many years chasing one bottle after another. It was at this pivotal time in my life that feelings of being torn between two broken parents, confused, abandoned, and stuck with no voice trying to figure out what I had done wrong began. I was given a father who drank to fill his God spot. And I was given a mother who was unsure of how to fill hers. With my biological father out of the picture now, just as I was entering my last days of elementary school, and my mother and father, Robin, having split up more than once and gotten back together, were still struggling with some significant marital problems. My mom, who was still struggling with her mental health, began her journey of prescription drug addiction. My mother took a lot of medication, over 15 pills a day, slept a lot, and was wholly uninvolved for many, many years. This was a very scary, scary time in my childhood. At times, we were unsure of how my mother would react to certain situations. I remember at one point calling my grandparents with my sister because we were afraid that my mother would hurt us by accident. My mother never meant to harm us, but she was not in control of herself and needed God's help. I spent many of those years raising myself and staying at my friend's house to escape my own. My dad constantly worked to provide for his children so that my mother could stay home as she was not capable of working at the height of her addiction. Sometimes I wondered if he left us too because the addictions were so difficult to deal with. Why does everyone get to leave but me? This was a question that beat me down daily. Little did I know that God would use this experience to, sort of to soften my heart as an adult. For these years, I didn't really have parents to care for my mental and emotional health, even though my physical needs were being met. So I developed many insecurities about myself and my body. 
My dad was not a Christian, and he struggled with a pornography addiction. You may wonder how I know this. I would see it on his TV all the time, even if he wasn't intentionally watching it in front of his children. We were very aware of what channels we could find porn on. Throughout middle school, I began watching porn when my dad left it on the TV late at night. I figured it was okay, seeing as my dad watched it and I was curious. This is where my story began. I was actively growing up in a home filled with so much sin, including addiction, pornography, cussing, and mental abuse, to name a few. Now on to my part of the story. My childhood had and still has significant impacts on my character and decisions that I make. But as I grow older and wiser, with God guiding me, I am able to discern the lies that Satan has used against me for much of my life. As I was finishing up my middle school years, I became very aware of sexual interactions between others due to my pornography exposure. My mother at the time was very absent, and with my father working and only home on the weekends, I didn't exactly have a strong parental model to look at or to confide in. In seventh grade, I got my first kiss. This is also when my mom started taking us to the Baptist church in town. She got baptized during my seventh grade year, and by the grace of God, her road to recovery from her addiction began. Unfortunately, baby Christians, still weak in their faith, are unable to properly guide a teenager who is traveling a path of destruction. Church family, leading people to Christ is not enough. We must continue to guide them and their families continually after they come to know the Lord. I spent much of my time at friends' houses doing whatever I wanted as long as I checked in. I had become so self-conscious about my body and cared so deeply about the perception of my male peers that I was driven to accept attention in whatever way it was given to me. When I was a freshman in high school, my trouble began. I quickly got a boyfriend who my mother adored. Ryan was 18 and a senior, and I was an impressionable 14-year-old freshman. It was not long before Ryan was gently pressuring me to give myself up. Our relationship dissolved quickly before we ever got too far. Unfortunately, at this point, the damage was done. Just as my mother was addicted to drugs, my, father, my biological father was addicted to alcohol, and my dad was addicted to porn, here was the beginning of my addiction to sex. By the end of my freshman year, I began gaining a lot of male attention from my classmates, especially the upperclassmen. I was so self-conscious and unsure of how to fill the holes in my heart that I felt if this is how you made people like you, then it must be what I should do. I had many crushes, but in, soft, but in my sophomore year of high school, Satan told me the biggest lie of them all. He told me that I was in love. I was in love with a boy named Lance in my theater class who liked skateboards and rap music. This idea of love that I had been craving for so long seemed to be getting filled by this boy two years older than me. I was looking to be completed, something that I'd been deprived of from my childhood. So one day, I gave a part of myself to this boy that I would never be able to get back. 
I would no longer be able to tell my husband I had saved myself for him. A gift that he would one day give to me. I found out quickly that sex only solves emptiness that comes with feeling unworthy, unloved, and abandoned for a short period of time. What I felt at this time was infatuation and lust, not love. I still didn't understand why love hurt so much, why we fought so much, why I was still seeking attention from other males and sometimes females so much. I liked the attention, the looks of desire on the faces of my peers. It made me feel important. It made me feel liked and loved. Within a two-year time span, I had given myself up to more than one person and broken up officially with the boy I thought I loved, as there had to be more than just him. During my high school years, my mom and my sister became more physically violent with one another, which led me to feel even more abandoned and alone, contemplating if this life that I was dealt was even worth it. I started cutting at 16, hoping that somebody would see my pain and help me so that I would stop seeking physical pain and sexual encounters to numb the anguish in my heart. After considering suicide and admitting to a friend I was done with everything, that friend talked me back off my invisible ledge. At 17, towards the end of junior year of high school, I met a boy named Chase, who was much different than Ryan and Lance. We went to prom in April, and in May, right after attending the graduation ceremony of 2010, we were officially seniors. As I imagined how exciting senior year was going to be, I realized my period was three days late. I panicked, went to Walmart, proceeded to steal a pregnancy test, and went to the bathroom. Boom. There were those two pink lines staring right back at me in the stall of a Walmart bathroom. I walked out of the bathroom in complete disbelief that right before the best year of my life, I was pregnant. I was now faced with a very difficult decision. I could acknowledge that I was a child and in no way capable of caring for a child and have Chase or a friend take me to Planned Parenthood without my parents' permission. Nobody would ever have had to know except for me and Chase. Or we could tell our parents, become a teenage statistic, most likely never going to college, struggling to graduate from high school? Which choice was best? Both of them seemed wrong and very unfair. What would I do? How could I care for a baby when I clearly can't even care for myself? On May 29th, my parents' anniversary, I asked my brother to come down to my parents' house so that I could tell them I was keeping this baby. My parents had a great anniversary dinner and came home to my brother, my boyfriend, and myself sitting on the couch. I simply looked my mother in the eyes. I'm sorry, I missed that part. I asked my mom to sit on a stool. No words were needed after this 
I simply looked my mother in the eyes. And she knew. My eyes filled with tears, disappointment, and shame. She knew her baby wasn't a baby anymore, but now a mother. My mother fell to the floor, screaming out to God, why did this have to happen? She was a Christian, and she took me to church. I should have known better, but the church wasn't enough. Faith begins at home. For the next nine months, I sat on the front pew of my mama's church as the evidence of my sins grew bigger and bigger for the world to see. I was judged, talked about, unofficially removed from the youth group because I didn't fit the mold or the perfect youth group image. And it made me feel more alone than I ever believed possible. I was not the only sexually active member of our youth group. Just the only one where everyone else now knew about it. On January the 13th, 2011, at 17 years old, I woke up my mom and I told her my water had broken. We went to the hospital and 12 hours later, with Chase and my mom by my side, I welcomed this beautiful baby boy that we named Hayden. This was the beginning of a road that was going to be long and arduous. I found out two months later in March that Chase was not the father of my son, but Lance, the boy from my theater class. I immediately began to question if Lance and I should get married because now we have a child who needs us. But I most certainly did not have the same feelings that I had before Hayden entered the picture. The lustful desires seemed to have fallen away with my newly acquired responsibility. I decided at that moment that marriage would not make things better, but would most likely end in divorce, just like my mother and my biological father. I set out and said to get a job and go to college to prove everyone in my church and my community who said that I couldn't, that I most certainly could. The drive in my life was fueled by anger, fear, and resentfulness to those who abandoned me when I needed them the most. I began my path as a single mom, living at home with my parents, working a job, going to school, and expected to take care of my parental responsibilities. My parents were an amazing support and watched Hayden for me as I worked and went to classes but I had to balance classes, a baby, and a job at 18 years old. I still could not shake this feeling that I would never be happy or genuinely loved for who I was. One evening while I was feeling rather down, I remember texting a guy from my youth group while he was away at college and asking him if girls like me deserved godly men like him. And he told me yes but that I had to seek God first. I still didn't know how to do this. You would think I'd have gotten my wake-up call, but boy, oh boy, was I stubborn. During my freshman year of college in an educational psychology class, this guy walked into the room and sat down in the back row. His name was Tyler. I was adamantly sitting in the front seat as I needed to get a good education to provide for my son, but I couldn't seem to get this man out of my head for the next few months. 
We ran into each other again when interviewing for the teacher preparation program at UT Martin. After some classes together and admission that I had a child, somehow I managed to convince this man to go on a date with me in March of 2012. Can I just talk about how great my God is? (laughs) That he would place that man in my educational psychology class knowing full well what he had in store for my life. After a near-death experience and a horrible car crash, Tyler and I spent a majority of our time together. He told me a few short weeks that he loved me. He said it first, which was a first for me, and it didn't come with strings attached like all the others. I didn't have to sleep with him for him to care about me. Tyler asked me to marry him during the summer of 2012. People thought he was crazy. What 21-year-old would pick a girl with a baby, plus getting married at 19 and 21 in our culture today sounds insane. Tyler had so many options, but he chose me. God created him for me. It wasn't long afterward that I moved in with his parents and him to get out of my parents' home. I was not saved at this time, so I still struggled with showing my love to Tyler without feeling like sex was required to gain his affection. He was so much different than those who had come before him that tore my heart into pieces and whose hearts I had also broken. Tyler and I got married on May 18, 2013, and moved into his great-grandparents' home next to his grandmother and his parents. The first year of our marriage was very difficult for me. I couldn't help but feel like I was still alone. And that other things were more important to him. That feeling of abandonment didn't go away when I got married like it was supposed to. My God spot was still empty. Please let me clarify. These were lies from Satan taken from my past. Trying to poison the future that God had planned for me. By planning thoughts of, does he really love you? Don't you know he'll leave? If you mess up, if you're not perfect, if you don't do what he tells you to. So you should just go ahead and leave now before he gets a chance to hurt you. I really struggled to go to the little church of Christ that my husband grew up in. But I went because I knew that he should decide where we went based on traditional church expectations that I had been taught by my mother. We found out in 2014 that we were expecting our second child, our first together, I remember fighting with Tyler, which does not happen often, about whether or not you have to be baptized to be saved. We proceeded to go to church, pretending we did not just spend the last hour yelling at one another, where God reached down into my life, and he spoke a sermon through our preacher's mouth that led to my salvation. I was baptized when I was six months pregnant with Benjamin. I was not only physically washed clean, but I was spiritually washed and covered by the blood of Christ. I died on that day, only to be reborn as a new person. That was the day I understood the true meaning of love. God showed me not just how to love him, but how to love my husband, how to forgive my parents, and to start to learn to love myself again and to find my value through God's eyes. I am by no means perfect, and I still wage wars with my mind about my worth on a regular basis, but I get stronger every day. Tyler and I will celebrate our 10-year anniversary in May of this year. 
And I thank God all the time for giving my husband to me. Tyler makes me a better woman. He supports me, loves me, and guides me through the lies that Satan speaks to me. God has blessed Tyler and I with three sons and the ability to break generational cycles of addiction, neglect, and divorce in my family. God has so richly blessed my life and given me a spouse to walk through life that loves me the way that God designed. I did nothing to deserve the blessings that God has bestowed upon me. I did eventually finish college, became a teacher, and in pursuing my doctorate. There are so many examples of Christ extending grace to those who are undeserving. I ask you today to consider the sins in your life that are more hidden, not to judge the visual sins of others the way that mine were. You can hate the sin and love the sinner. We can love one another the way that God designed with grace and forgiveness. Step in to help our parents guide their children and offer support to others. Forgive our young people when they fall short and use those opportunities not to condemn them, but to teach them how to depart from those sinful desires. They need our leadership and our guidance more than they realize. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share my story. Both of my parents and Chris, my biological father, have all been saved by grace and are living their lives to glorify God. God did not just come to save the few, but to save the many. In their darkest places, God sent Christ to die for them. I pray that God will use my words to open the hearts and minds of those in this room today so that they too can see the goodness that God and the relief that his grace provides. Psalms 42 through 3 says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Remember, God is in your story, even in the darkest details. Thank you. You can stay standing. Let's pray together. Father, I, I think that we can see now why in the book of John chapter 4 that this precious woman's story was so instrumental in leading almost everyone in her town to faith in Christ. We thank you for the way that all of these scriptures and lessons and Bible stories, that they're not just stories. They are living and active and changing lives as we've heard today. And Father, I know that a lot of us may be thinking, well, my story is not like Caitlin's, but all of us have a story. And I pray that not only will we leave today just praising you and glorifying you for what you've done in Caitlin and Tyler and Hayden and Benji and Thomas's life, but Father, may you compel us to to tell our story and to look for opportunities to share our faith with others. 
and I don't know everyone that's here, I know some, and there's a lot going on with, with so many of us here, but I ask the Holy Spirit that you would take these words that have been shared this morning and use them to heal where healing is needed. Use them to convict where conviction is needed. Use them to open ears and eyes and hearts where that is needed to hear you and come to know you. Father, we come before you now and we come to one another in prayer and in this time of the song, we, we offer up this song to you and if there's anyone here that is in need of prayer, I want to encourage you to reach out to someone that you're close to, you know, and ask them to pray for you or if you know someone in that situation, I want to encourage you to go to them and pray with them. Let's go before God in prayer now. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.